<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Warning. Listening to WebmasterRadio.fm daily may cause webmaster insomnia and an increase in your company's profits. WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay up with us all night long. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Downloading the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Broadcasting live from the heart of Silicon Beach here in Santa Monica. We have a great show for you today. Please be seated. Um, let's start with recognizing what today is in on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. World War I came to an end. And today we celebrate that as Veterans Day. And I want to salute all those who serve our country um, for their sacrifice. Um, for my family, it's actually somewhat of a sad day in that um, we have a great uncle who my family was – my great-grandmother was great, quite elated to find out about the armistice, um, only to find out a few days later that her son would not be coming home and is buried in France. So, But we have a great show for you today. Um, we're going to be talk, starting off with um, continuing our author series. We have Ian Mitroff who has um, his latest book is out, um, Dumb, Deranged, and Dangerous, A Smart Guide to Combating Dumb Arguments. And then the second segment, we have um, a new update on California's new electronic privacy law, and we're going to have Chris Conley from the ACLU to talk about it. But first, let's start off with our my friend Ian Mitroff. And um, Ian is the um, senior investigators at the Center for Catastrophic Risk Management at UC Berkeley. He's an adjunct professor at Saybrook University, Professor Emeritus at Marshall School of Business, um, the Annenberg School of Communications at USC, and president of Mitroff Crisis Management. Ian, thank, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Good to, good to be here. 
Um, it sounds like you, you need a couple more jobs because we still have like 20, 20 minutes left to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we were talking offline about your book, and uh, actually, I, I think it's actually a very timely book um, because as people are going home for Thanksgiving dinner, um, they're going to be getting into that, that over the long weekend, probably having a lot of conversations with some relatives they may not want to, and um, they're going to be talking about you know what's, what your book is exactly about. Um, dumb, um, dumb arguments. So, what led you to write this book? Well, just the sheer proliferation of dumb. Ar- I mean, I always wanted to write this book. It's been on my uh, my mind for a long time, and I guess the dam just finally burst. That I just kept compiling them over the past five years. As I say in the book, the <clears throat> one of the things that that I do is I have a certain I have di- I, I came up with different types of dumb arguments that typology, different types of dumbness, <laughs> excuse me, that was the easy part. The hard part, the hardest part of writing the book was not the writing, I love writing, but was really uh, that prolonged contact with social pathology, because so much of this is just out-and-out sheer pathology. I mean, I could give examples, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's what the book is about, I try to give as many examples as I could of the different types of dumb arguments. You, I mean, you, break, example, you break it down to like six. Me? You break it down to like six core areas. Right, right. Well, you know, I can list. I list them uh, briefly, and I can give you an example of each of them. Sure, the that'd first, be great. The first one is truly idiotic, dumb, stupid, ignorant. <laughs> I mean, that perhaps the, the classic one goes back to when Charles uh, Gibson was interviewing Sarah Palin for her qualifications for vice president. And what, if anything, she knew about international affairs, and she said, uh, I can see Russia from my front porch, as though, you know, that is qualification to be able to deal with Putin and all the rest of the characters. Uh, but I can give many more. I think one, one, of the, uh, one of the worst is comes from the lips of mouth of Michelle Bachman, who seems to utter these things, you know, just daily, hourly, that uh, she was distressed when former Arizona governor, Jan Brewer vetoed a bill that would have allowed those to refuse service to gays and lesbians if for reasons that they were, quote, uh, uh, they refused because they were sincere in their religious beliefs. Namely, if, if one is sincere, then one can be uh, uh, practice uh, religious intolerance towards others. And, you know, they, but, but Bachman doesn't stop there. One of the most outrageous things she, she said is that uh, the reason why the Obama administration was so lax in allowing children from Latin America, South America, to come into the U.S. illegally, because Obama was planning to set up hospitals that would, in effect, experiment on the children like the Nazi doctors did. You know, where, where she got this thought, let alone would have the gall to say it, you know, with, totally without evidence, it's just utterly appalling. But, but it goes on. Um, I can't remember the uh, person who said that, uh, quote, if babies had guns, they wouldn't be aborted. Anyway, they they never end. And the the point (laughs) is, it's out and out social pathology. Now, and it is something, unfortunately, to be attended to, because if we listen to what's going on, you know, in the Republican Party with the outrageous statements, and particularly the followers who are lapping it up, it really is disturbing because this kind of stuff just puts an end instantly 
any kind of sensible conversation. Let me give you the second category I have, deceptive. And the granddaddy there is if we had the same amount of fatality rate as we had in 1921, we'd have about 750,000 people dying uh, annually from auto accidents. Well, then, you know, jump to the NRA that has steadfastly opposed any kind of safety with regard uh, to guns, you know, this uh, paranoid fear that, you know, their guns will be uh, uh, will be confiscated. You know, the automobile industry bought tooth and nail for all safety devices, you know, seat belts and all the rest of that. Right. But they finally, you know, had to uh, accede to it because, you know, the accident rate was so bad. Whereas the NRA, you know, just opposed any, and then they have the dumb arguments, uh, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. That's their granddaddy argument. Well, the true argument is people kill people more effectively in greater numbers by means of guns than almost with any other instrument. Yeah, you can knife people and all the rest of that. And furthermore, with, I don't know, uh, 5% of the world's population, we have the overwhelming number of mass murders. Third category I have is something overly aggressive and demonizing. Uh, and the the the, uh, the argument there was wrong. Can't you take a joke? And the the classic is from uh, Joan uh, Rivers, who uh, who quote joked that her daughter's apartment in Cleveland was so cramped that it was worse than the basement, in which three women were held for years and raped uh, repeatedly. I mean, it, uh, and again, the rationalization. You know, a comic apparently uh, can say anything because that's their shtick. Well. I find it utterly uh, tasteless. The uh, fourth category is narrow ideology. And we come to Paul Ryan, who divided the world, divided the U.S. into makers versus takers. Right. And the second party said uh, anti-poverty programs are ineffective because they failed altogether to eliminate poverty. Therefore, they should be curtailed or eliminated. I mean, it's the, the argument is absurd that... Uh, because we don't achieve something in one fell swoop like the elimination of slavery, therefore it ought to be abandoned, where it's uh, it's more of an ideal versus an objective. An objective is something you realize in a finite amount of time, and you can gauge the percentage, where an ideal is something you strive at repeatedly, because the end in itself is good. And so, we, you know, anti-poverty is, is not a simple-minded, but simplistic program. Uh, lame excuses, my fifth category. And here's where you find, and one thing I want to be clear, is that dumb arguments are not just the province of, of the narrow right that can be found in all political categories. So Jamie Dimon, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan said it was unfair to blame uh, uh, J.P. Morgan at the height of the financial crisis because apparently, you know, they were innocent and didn't do anything wrong, which is not true because they were implicated deeply in, you know, in selling subprime mortgages. But you can go to out-and-out things like um, Cleavon Bundy, who said good blacks were better off as slaves and then didn't even offer apology because he said, I don't think I'm wrong, I'm right. The last category I have is evil, which are undoubtedly the worst of all. And here you have uh, uh, Silicon Valley billionaire Tom Perkins who said that the attacks on the 1%, of which he was a, a prime member, uh, were him were equivalent to Kristallnacht, you know, this worst one of right. the episodes in Germany. 
And he blamed liberals and progressives for attacks on the 1%. But the point is, to invoke the Holocaust in any way, shape, or form, to compare one situation to one of the worst, undoubtedly, undeniably, one of the worst episodes in human history, it's just found out evil. Now, let, let me just say one, one, one more thing about these categories, is that when I wrote the book, uh, it became very obvious to me that any one of the examples that I've used and I've just uh, ticked off are, could be used under any one of the categories, because we're not dealing with nice, neat, cookie-cutter things here. We're dealing with a, a really slippery phenomenon. And any one of the examples that I've used, depending how you interpret it, depending what the, you know, uh, the proverbial Thanksgiving dinner, can fit under any one of the categories. Right. And that, to me, was one of the most fascinating uh, things about doing this, is that, uh, and also the degrees of dumbness. They're not the same, you know. We're we're dealing with a, uh, a proverbial complex uh, thing, but that was that's what makes it fascinating. Now, I do have to say, watching the Republican uh, so-called debate <laughs> last night and every every morning, I look at the fact check. Just about everything they said was wrong, was false, was, uh, and therefore, in in that sense, it, it fit the category of a dumb argument, although. There are very different yeah. types of dumb arguments. I mean, the, uh, most of them, they show appalling ignorance. Dumb arguments are uh, sent out by their meanness, how they're offensive, they're vicious, outrageous claims, assertion preposterous. Um, and in, in that sense, many of the things that were were said la like last night, now it's not true that raising, raising the minimum wage necessarily... Uh, discourages or lowers the you know, chances of people getting uh, getting jobs. You know, it depends on too many others. Anyway, that that's a big mouthful. I, I've gone through the different typology, and I don't mean to monopolize. It, oh no, but. no, no! It was it was great. Um, it, was, it was quite concise. You know, I thought of a few examples myself um, that came to mind. But I want to. Um, there there have been some recent articles that are are. Public debate is deteriorating. And let me try that again in English. Okay. Our public debate is deteriorating um, because you have um, not just different views or philosophies, but people are now having their own facts. You know, they're not. You know, the, what was once thought of. You know, are things that were universally true. You know, each side now seems to claim its own facts. So, whether global warming is happening, evolution, you, know, you name it. Um, what has a you know is the economy better? Um, is the deficit coming down? You know, certain things that even are that are verifiable um, just aren't accepted on on one on the other side. And and so that creates a problem because how do you debate? If you don't even agree on what the no, what it's I, I agree, uh, Ben. One of the things I'm looking at my bookshelf as we're talking here, because one of the books that I uh, read, oh here, here it is, I see it, and it's a book called "Do Facts Matter," and it's uh, the subtitle "Information and Misinformation in American Politics," and and you're exactly right. Now you know having. Uh, my PhD is in engineering from UC Berkeley, but when I was there, I took a three and a half year minor in philosophy of uh, social system science, which is how I became a social scientist that left engineering. It was too narrow for me. But the point is, uh, I hope that I, it gave me the grounding 
both being both going through science is that of course I believe in science even though the scientists are often wrong when 97 percent of scientists believe and not just because they believe it because they've uncovered the evidence that global warming is due primarily to human activities I accept it but that's one of the reasons you know is that just to take let's talk about some of the contributing factors to dumb arguments. Well, the dumbing down of life in general, the thing you just mentioned, everybody therefore has their own set of facts. The Twitterization of thoughts and ideas, proliferation of dehumanizing humility, quote, reality shows, rejection of science and scientific thinking, vapid political leaders, and short dumbness is a major um, malady. But there are other things that I think we live in time of great anxiety. The election of the first non-white American president, well, we thought was really a signal. It is to me, you know, that we've become, uh, we've advanced. Uh, apparently it isn't. You know, it, it did resurge this underlying, not even dormant racism, the breakdown and redefinition of traditional racial and, uh, and sexual behavior categories and mores, highly threatening to people uh, where people can cross gender heightened social economic disparity, income inequality. I think one of the biggest things is the diminished privilege and status of white men. If I had to put my finger, I mean, that's uh-huh. one of the enormous political divisions. Loss of the, uh, of the standing of the U.S. in world affairs. Constant heightened threat of terrorism. Outbreak of terrible diseases such as Ebola. You put all of that together. And we are really in the age of tremendous uh, anxiety, uncertainty, and threats. Because when I take a, a step back from all these dumb arguments, you can really see that in many ways, <clears throat> they're really trying to hold on to a belief system that really doesn't apply anymore, doesn't make sense, is, is, is false. And to really face facts, as you, as you just said, it's too threatening. So no wonder people will invent and say the most outlandish things. I mean, you know, to see Donald Trump and other people up on the stage is just truly, uh, it's truly amazing because I, I don't remember. I mean, there have been demagogues, obviously, and there still are in, in, in American history. But uh, the Trump phenomenon is is somewhat new in, in the um the sheer abrasiveness. I mean, the chutzpah. Um, anyway, and go, go the, on the and whole on. the whole thing about and other people have followed suit. Carson has been mimicking Trump on you know I'm not I don't think I have to be PC. Like somehow not saying rude obnoxious things is now um, something that's a huge burden. And and there also seems to be this underlying anti intellectualism. Well, no, there is underlying anti-intellectual. Actually, uh, of the two, Carson and Trump, Carson scares me more. I mean, um, Trump is obviously an out-and-out uh, uh, pathological narcissist, you know, where, where Carson is more <laughs> hidden with a friendly face. Yeah. And it was like one of the statements last night, like the Chinese were involved in, uh, in Syria. I mean, he's so off the mark with his facts. And then, you know... Uh, that he's now being attacked because he's the front runner. You know what? What do you think would happen? I think, uh, you know, what President Obama said when in the last debate, you know, Republicans were complaining about the moderators, and he laughed and he said, "And how do you think you would be up against Putin?" 
for crying out. If you think the moderators were, were tough. So, and, and yes, people are held to be accountable for things they said earlier in their books, talking about uh, Dr. Ben Carson, that, you know, not going back to when you're 13, but things that you have put out in print. And you have stated with great conviction. Well, of course, that's bearing because we we want to know the character of the person who presumably holds the most important or one of the most important jobs in the world. So the the thing again, I think to be be stressed is you know from every bit of uh, social psychology and psychoanalytic thinking that I know, it is in times of particular great stress. That we're living, I mean, you think of all of the things, uh, all of the institutions being attacked, then I'm really not surprised. Now, also, this is further ramped up by the media, and then, you know, you can select one's media to present whatever deranged facts that one can call up. So, uh, um, and so, what is there to, to counteract this? Well, hopefully, what you and I are doing. Um, and, and that's the only antidote I know. I mean, one of the things that, that I've said, if we couldn't even come up with an analysis of dumb arguments, then we truly would be uh, bad off. Not that just writing a book alone, right. I'd have to be dumb thinking that way. To, uh, well, straight. you stress that the, the job of the president is a very important job. Actually, uh, an equally important job is the job of my producer, who's telling me right now that we need to take a break. But when we come oh, yes. back, we'll be, we'll be wrapping. We'll be we'll wrap up and um, with Ian and get details on how you can follow him and get his book. But first, these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law Infus Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results. Providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world, The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. 
The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Ian Mitroff about his book, uh, very insightful on stupid arguments. Ian, what is the reception you're getting on the book? Uh, thus far, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, people that I've, I've talked with who've, uh, who read it, you know, the, uh, uh, I mean, one of the comments is that they, they, they both laugh and moan and groan as they go through the book. I mean, some <laughs> of the things are, that because they, they really invoke that, that both sides of our, our, our mind, that one hand they're, they're stupid, funny, and the other hand, they're really, really disturbing. Yes. And also, I, I think the other thing that is most gratifying to me is that the people I've talked to read it. So at least it gives me um, uh, it, it gives me a framework, a map on which to you know to pinpoint these things. So you know it helps me to not to be so overwhelmed by them, and you know I can kind of make sense of the lay of the land. And that's really one of the things that that uh, I wanted to do to add. Uh, some clarity to to say that you know there is a shape these there, there there is a structure to these things as difficult as it is to uh, to unpin. So we talked about your last book on uh, a segment about two years ago, I believe, or maybe a year ago. Um, we had Obi Scott Wade on to talk about his book, and he talked about working with your wife Donna and on with Mister Rogers, and we right, talked about right. your book. Right. And well, this is uh, this is a very different genre from the, <laughs> the that my wife and I did. I mean, you know, Mr. Rogers is uh, is very hopeful. I I wonder what Fred would say. That's an inf- very interesting point about you know, like different people having different fa- the intense polarization that we right. find, and and I just say the the sheer craziness, you know, the ignorance, the appalling ignorance. I think he would be dismayed. Now, one thing I know about Fred, he was uh, eternally optimistic. And, and I have a sense of optimism, too, that uh, uh, I think, you know, is the, the upward arrows is of civilization, of being civilized. But it's damn hard, as we know, to take. We, I have a seven-year-old grandson and to see somebody become civilized, uh, you know, is their, their, it's hard. And the point is, for some of us, it, it most people who never stop. Some people never achieve it. One of the things in the book, um, I don't know how much time we have. We just have like most, another minute or two. Okay. One of the most influential characters in, in my thinking is this uh, child psychoanalyst, Melanie Klein, who lived uh, early in the, in the last century. And Melanie Klein pushed back even further than Freud, the uh, origins of human behavior. And one of the things she studied around up to the age of two Children split uh, the mother into the good mother and the bad mother, the good mother who nourished the child, and the bad mother had a reprimand. And she called it the paranoid schizoid state, paranoid because the child was afraid the mother would harm uh, the child, and, and schizoid because, again, of the split. Well, splitting lasts a whole lifetime. I mean, good guys, bad guys. It never, never ends. What's really, uh, really dangerous if one is unaware and keeps splitting, because as you go through many of the dumb arguments, you see that splitting is a prominent feature. We're the good guys and they're the bad guys, you know, and all the goodness is pumped into the good guys, so they're super good, and 
the bad guys are really super bad. And I'm not saying there's good in every uh, in every bad guy. I'm not saying that. But it's dangerous to split without the awareness of why one's doing it. Mainly, it goes way, way back in human development. And the point is that many dumb arguments arise because they're locked into primitive thinking that goes way, way back to uh, early childhood. And in effect, and uh, that's where I'm thinking of my next book, of what, the, uh, what a mature society would really look like that got beyond not only dumb arguments, but had more mature institutions uh, and the like. Well, we'll have to have you back when that comes out. If Ian, Ian if... Um... If someone wants to follow you on social media, what's the best way to do so? Well, you know, the uh, I'm on website. LinkedIn. That's really I don't use Facebook. That's a whole other uh, <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. And I'll tell you that why briefly. Uh, there's no reason why before Facebook was launched, that couldn't have assembled a group of educators and adults to talk about cyberbullying and and sexting and all the rest of that. I'm really horrified that we launch all of these technological, so-called technological advances and these problems occur, whether it's Uber or Airbnb, and then later say, oh, my God, now we've got to clean it up. So, right. but, so LinkedIn, and my book is available on uh, Amazon. Uh, this is my 36th book, and it's my first self-published book, so I'm proud of that, and I'm and proud that people would get it, and uh, and. Contact me versus LinkedIn. There you go. And the book is Dumb, Deranged, and Dangerous, A Smart Guide to Combating Dumb Arguments. Ian, thanks for joining us, and have a great Thanksgiving, with or without your book. Okay. <laughs> and, thanks, um, Bennett. Take my best to Donna. Hope to talk with you again soon. Thank you again. Take care. Take care. And we're going to take a short. we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about California's new privacy law. After these messages, Cyber Law and Business Report. After this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. 
Say the date and join us for the 32nd Annual Miami Book Fair presented and produced by the Center for Writing and Literature at Miami-Dade College, November 15th through the 22nd in downtown Miami, Florida. Connect one-on-one with some of the biggest and brightest best-selling authors and luminaries, including James Smiley, Tom Brokaw, Eric Bogosian, Mitch Album, Ben Mesrich, Alan Dershowitz, Natalie Dupree, and so many more. Book lovers will enjoy eight days of exceptional cultural and educational activities. Plus, enjoy visiting more than 200 exhibitors from around the country. Kitchen demonstrations and panels from Miami-Dade College's Miami Culinary Institute. Live music and so much more. For more information, visit MiamiBookFair.com. And follow Miami Book Fair on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget to use the hashtag MiamiReads. Save the date, November 15th to the 22nd. It's the 32nd Annual Miami Book Fair 2015. Don't just read about it. Be there. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back for the second half of our 200th episode. And I want to give a shout-out to my producer, Brasco, for all his help in getting us to this 200 and all our wonderful guests over the years um, who are too many to name right now. But uh, we've really enjoyed each and one, every one of you. And, um, well, maybe a few exceptions. But <laughs> in any event, um, for information on today's show, um, you can go to our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com and we have some biographical and other information about um, both segments. And um, you also can follow us on Twitter at CyberLawRadio. Um, our next segment, we have Chris Conley from the um, ACLU in um, San Francisco. And um, Chris is going to talk to us about a new law that um, Jerry Brown just signed um, last month called California Electronic Communications Privacy Act. Chris, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so this is somewhat of a landmark uh, achievement, getting this law passed, is it? Uh, it is. So it, it's <clears throat> it's been significant for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that this is we, we think this is the strongest electronic privacy law in the nation. It not only requires a warrant for the contents of emails, um, but also for metadata surrounding those emails, the people with whom you communicate, the location from which you send those emails, all you know, the, the details about these these communications and these activities that we all perform online that especially in aggregate, can be very revealing as to the patterns and activities and incidents of our personal lives. Um, and so this is, the, as far as we know, the first law in the country that requires a warrant for, for that broad set of information, as well as for information stored on our personal devices, our smartphones, our laptops, things like that. We had a very good Supreme Court decision a year ago that held that at least to some extent, the Fourth Amendment protects information on those devices, but California's law is a little bit broader and pertains not only to physically searching an electronic device, but also to remotely accessing it using uh, devices such as stingrays, uh, talk about more of those more later if you'd like, or other ways of trying to get information off of these devices. So we think it's a major victory in that sense. Uh, it's also something that has been quite a long time coming. We have had three previous bills, actually smaller bills, trying to enact electronic privacy reform in California, all of which Governor Brown vetoed in 2011, 2012, and 2013. So we're very happy that this year we were able to convince him that now was the time to enact comprehensive electronic privacy reform in California. 
What was there any change in the content of the bill that that was able to address whatever concerns the governor had, or did this the whole increasing concerns about online privacy um, change things? So I think I mean the, the reality is this bill is actually broader than any of the other three bills. In some sense, it's those three bills put together. A few other, it's not exactly the same. There have been some amendments, some of which addressing concerns about how notice and other provisions work, but um, it, it is it was not a, a narrowing of the bills based on comments. So I think a lot of the change has to do with the you know our, our current culture and awareness of surveillance. The Edward Snowden revelations have happened. Um, and, and part of what happened from that is is, is not only has the general public uh, and the you know the California voters who are general, Governor Brown constituents become more aware of and more concerned about surveillance, but it's also had a real impact on the the technology industry. Companies are very cognizant of the fact that people are becoming somewhat distrustful of sharing their information online. They recognize that out of date laws really harm their business, and so. This bill was supported not only by civil liberties groups such as the ACLU, but also by a broad coalition of industry, including Google and Facebook and Apple, the California Chamber of Commerce, uh, many others who are not typically, you know, who have not been traditionally supporting uh, this kind of bill, but they have recognized that in, in this climate, it's really important not only for, for their consumers' trust, but it also helps them to deal with, to have a single consistent warrant standard rather than uh, an archaic set of rules that were written 30 years ago that are very hard to apply and put them in difficult situations when they're trying to develop brand new products that weren't contemplated when the old law was written, and they, they, they're much better off with a single clear get a warrant standard. Now, um, your colleague, Nicole Ozer, had a good article kind of discussing this in TechCrunch recently. And you won on your point that the, the industry wanted this, that actually at this point um, enacting this legislation is pro-business. Um, Adobe released a statement that said um, it believes that customer data stored online deserves the same protection as data stored at home or at work and that full Fourth, fourth Amendment protections are essential to consumers trusting that their information is safe. Without trust, cloud computing can never realize its full potential. And we, we've had other shows where we've had people talk about how you know the ongoing um, Snowden, fallout from the Snowden revelations is just killing us in Europe in cloud computing. And so something like this goes a long way, it would seem, to kind of bolstering our domestic cloud computing industry. Certainly. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's very obvious in the international sphere, particularly in the recent weeks where you know, the safe harbor has been challenged as you know, a direct consequence of the NSA and the Snowden revelations. But even, even within the U.S., there's increasing evidence that, that consumers, that, that online users are skeptical about the ability to keep their information safe. And, and while that hasn't stopped people from using the Internet, it certainly affects the way that they use it. And, and as Adobe said, that, you know, people fully, you know, people hold back. They, they do not fully engage with services and, and environment that they don't trust. And so making sure that we have clear, consistent, up-to-date laws that protect personal information really you know it is essential not only for the international play where there are other factors at stake but even within the u.s just talking about consumers themselves this is something that again it's very clear that the industry sees this as valuable and has actively supported this well one thing that surprised me and this was also in nicole's um comments in in tech crunch 
was the degree to which these requests for information um, from cell phones and metadata, et cetera, were being made by law enforcement without a warrant. And that this is seen to be rampant. Um, and there's just an increasing amount. I believe the uh, one-third of the requests had only one-third of requests from law enforcement um, of the approximately 2,000-some requests um, had a had a warrant. Yeah, and this is this is exactly what what CalACPA was designed to address. CalACPA is our, our abbreviation for the Electronic Communications Privacy Act because I say that too often. I, I get my tongue tied. Um, <laughs> the, the, the the problem has been that you know in, in both the statutory and constitutional level, the the courts and law, lawmakers have not really brought existing privacy protections up to date with. Um, electronic and, and advances in t- technology. So, for example, the, the federal law that protects electronic information has a provision that you re- that requires a warrant to obtain the contents of an electronic communication, but only if it is in electronic storage, which is a specifically defined term, for less than 180 days. Uh, this was written in 19- the 1980s when email worked because you logged into your probably CompuServe or AOL or Prodigy or some you know, bulletin board system, basically, and you downloaded all your emails to your computer. And so the concept at that time was, well, if you left it on the server for six months, you've abandoned it. It's, it's, it's stuff you don't care about anymore. And that's obviously not the way we treat our email today. We trust our web server to keep it because they're more reliable than the hard drive on our laptop. It's actually a, a you know, it's more protected, probably technically as well. You know, Google has better security protection than I do on my personal device. Um, and so it's, it, it has completely changed the paradigm, but the law remains outdated. And so there are loopholes and gaps and gray areas where the law currently allows access to even to content without a warrant. Now, the, the courts have started to engage with this. There was a decision called United States versus Warshak in the Sixth Circuit that said that you do need a warrant. The Fourth Amendment demands this, even if the federal statute does not, but that has not yet been uh, you know, that has not been taken up by the Supreme Court and or any other circuit. And so it's not even clear whether the Fourth Amendment covers content. And then you get to information like location, you know, communications, associational information, records of your browsing history or your purchases, all of this fine-grained information that is that is collected in such detail today and that can paint a very comprehensive picture of your activities and that is even lower protection in the statutory regime and has yet to really be updated in the constitutional courts. And so. in, in terms of we, we're talking about loopholes, would one of those loopholes be stingrays? So stingrays are, are yeah, so, so stingrays are also known as um, empty devices, international mobile subscriber identity catchers. Um, these are essentially devices that act as fake cell towers. They, they, you can station a stingray t- somewhere and it will say, hey, connect to me and I'll you know, tell me who you are, cell phones, and I will route calls to you. Um, in doing so, the cell phones nearby are encouraged to hand over their identifying information so that the stingray and whoever's operating it can determine which cell phones are nearby. Um, and these have been used, you know, th- there have been many problems with these, but the two most obvious are, number one, they have not been used with consistent legal process. It, it seems that uh, you know, the, the federal government has recently announced a policy that they will use stingrays with only, they will get a warrant before using a stingray. 
Um, that implies they have not always been getting a warrant in the past, at least. Um, and other other entities at the state and local level, it's not clear what they are doing. Um, and in, in addition, stingrays have been used very conspicuously in ways that have hidden their existence. You know, cops have essentially lied to the courts about what's going on. They have claimed that a confidential informant told them that a person was in a residence when, in fact, they used a stingray to determine that. They have broken down doors to houses to avoid getting a warrant because getting a warrant would require them to explain to the judge what it is, why it is they believe a person is in the house. And so this, you know, the, the, both the lack of adequate legal process protecting this <clears throat> and the lack of transparency have been problematic. And the legal process is particularly relevant here because stingrays, by design, capture information not about one specific person but about every phone that's nearby now they can figure to not use that but that's not automatic and so knowing how they're being used is certainly important and we definitely wanted you know this is something that is new technology that the courts have not really have, have just started to grapple with partly because they are just becoming aware of it and we wanted to make sure that that our that california's privacy law encompassed not just you know searching my phone by taking it out of my hand and, and flipping it with your fingers, but using a stingray or using, you know, a, a remote exploit or whatever it may be to access data on my phone without physically interacting with it. And, you know, especially one thing that's been very troubling in the stingrays is sometimes they have actually dismissed cases against defendants rather than have to disclose information about the use of the stingray. So yeah, that's you know, right. apparently it's thought, you know, valuable to to be used to catch you know perceived criminals, but you know they would rather have those criminals on the street than actually disclose what's involved in using it. That's right. troubling. And that that's very troubling. I mean that that kind of turns the 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 you know that that is the purpose of law enforcement is to protect public safety. And if secrecy has somehow superseded public safety as a goal, that that's deeply problematic. You know, and it also suggests that you know law enforcement is increasingly viewing what they're doing, like secrecy is paramount and you know, it, it can be very dangerous to our democratic society when it becomes an us versus them mentality. We can't tell them being the population what we're doing at all. We will, you know, again, we will decline prosecutions. We will let people walk the streets because we're not willing to use the evidence we collected. Uh, now, maybe we're not use- willing to use it because we would have to admit that we used it. We got it illegally. That's a completely different story. But there should be, and, and I think at least with stingrays, we are finally seeing responsible policies around how to adopt these uh, or when they can be deployed. But that's still very much a work in progress. Now, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall reading any, anywhere in the Fourth Amendment the words "trust me." <laughs> uh, that, that is not in there. Uh, this, the Fourth Amendment is about the right of the people to be secure. Um, and that the right of the people, it's not the right of law enforcement to engage in surveillance without transparency, without judicial oversight, without the protections of, of a search warrant. Um, you know, not to say that, you know, then, then there need to be an, an R in Calacba and in federal law exception. You know, if there is a burning building, you don't need to go back and get a search warrant to figure out who's in it. If there's a, you know, a, a suspect fleeing or threatening to destroy information, there have to be some kind of provisions where a search warrant is not immediately available. But right. at the same time, and this is one of the things we also thought about, um, there should be after the fact validation. It shouldn't be, well, I'm going to say there's an emergency, so you have to give me everything. And it's completely outside of the scope of this law. It needs to be not just an exception, but a post, you know, ju- justice 
right. slightly postponed, right? There's obviously justice delayed is justice denied to some extent, but we want to make sure that a judge does eventually see this, that you are, you know, this was why I didn't get a warrant right away. This is why I could have gotten a warrant if I had the time, um, you know, basically going through a, a, a an after the fact evaluation of whether this was a legitimate warrant, legitimate, <coughs> you know, what any kind of surveillance or any demand for information is very important in this context. Now, um, we've talked a little bit about the, the, the federal law, which is somewhat dated. And last several years, there's been a lot of effort and, and a lot of lobbying from the tech industry for an update to the Federal Electronic Communications Privacy Act. We, where, why hasn't that passed, do you, do you believe? And, and where are we now in this Congress? Um, so I, I, I am based in San Francisco. I, I get fully qualified to say why it has not passed. But I think yeah. we, what we have seen is you know, there has been pushback. And I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that with the Snowden revelations, that not just in California, but through, you know, in D.C. as well, constituents are, are telling their legislators that this is important to me, that this is valuable. Um, this was also part of our purpose for, for pushing this bill in California. It was not simply to protect Californians, but to really try to move forward the national conversation. We, you know, we believe that this hopefully Calacba can be a model for possibly for other states to begin with, like that you know, other states across the country could take this and enact this and eventually ratchet up the pressure on D.C. to get it done. Um, as to exactly why, again, that's that's beyond my pay grade. Um, I, I, there are certainly, there, there has been, I mean, there are 300 Republican co-authors of the, the current sitting bill, uh, but it's still having trouble getting through committees and getting out to the floor. Uh, and that's something that I, I think is going to take, you know, continued pressure, may take some changes in the regime hearings. I don't know whether the House will uh, look a little different in the, the next few months, given the leadership change, but maybe that will be what it needs. Could be. And one, one, we only got a few minutes left, but w- one quick question, you know, given what you do, and, and you obviously you're in San Francisco, clearly a very um, aware tech community um, where, what has been the reaction in terms of people coming to you who, you know, normally maybe would not, you know, just saying, I'm concerned, you know, do you, just in your interactions, are you seeing an increase in concern or, you know, tr- uh, maybe some perplexedness of, about what's going on? I think we definitely are. You know, we, there, there has, you know, there, there's an awareness that, surveillance happens and that there are legitimate needs for surveillance even when you are know, keeping our country safe arresting criminals means sometimes doing things in secret sometimes obtaining information that would ordinarily be private but what we have seen and what people have really expressed concern about is is turning the mantra of you know transparent by default into secret by default um turning the mantra of we always get a warrant to we only get a warrant if we absolutely have to and if we can right. find any way to go around that we do so. And, and so we have really, you know, that, that has resonated with people, with companies, with individuals, um, even with law enforcement who really have seen their public relationships erode because the communities, uh, particularly communities of color, religious communities are increasingly skeptical that they are treated as members of community and rather than targets of surveillance. Uh, and so the San Diego Police Officer Association was actually one of the supporters of this bill. And they said that we think this is really important step for us to stand, step forward and say we can 
protect public safety and respect individual rights, that we don't we need to go through the process. We need to get a judge to approve this in order to convince our community that we have their best interests at heart. And so I think really that that, that was one of the one of the key things for CalECPA. And I think it's one of the things that is changing is that communities, especially, again, communities of color, Islamic communities, uh, feel like targets. They don't feel like the police are there to protect them. They feel like the police are there to threaten them. And the more that transparency and accountability are built into our laws, the easier it is for police to rebuild those relationships. Okay, we only have two minutes left. Um, If people want to learn more about what you and the ACLU are doing on this issue, where should they go? Um, so the, the ACLU of Northern California is at ACLUNC.org. Uh, you can also learn more about the federal effort to reform this. Uh, the main coalition working on this in federal level is Digital Due Process, Digital D-U-E pro, pro, bleh, Digital Due Process.org. I just say it rather than try to spell it out. Um, and it, it just, you know, it, it's, something, it's something that definitely is getting traction in D.C. So the more you can do to um, join efforts locally and at the federal level to kind of push this ball forward, uh, the better off we will all be and the more likely we are to have technology that flourishes and privacy laws that keep up with our modern technology rather than are dated before the introduction of the World Wide Web. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you and thank you for this insight and congratulations on your, your hard work paying off. This is an important development in California, um, but we will be back here next week talking about more developments in California and elsewhere. Uh, if you're covering the web, you want to listen to us, follow us on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio and check out the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. We're a full service internet law firm. And until then, this is Bennett Kelly. Join us next week for our next 100 shows. Um, This is Ben and Kelly. Cyber Law and Business Report is dismissed, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.